Genesis 15. We should wrap up the chapter tonight. Again, probably my favorite chapter in the book of Genesis. I don't know if you realize this, but um, once we got past Genesis 3, man, we've hit the highway. We've just been going. I don't know how long it took to get to Genesis 3, but we're doing a whole lot better since. Um, Genesis 15. Genesis 15. So, um, this passage, I didn't time it this way. God really did all that. Really backs up what I preached about on Sunday. The land covenant, things like that. And in fact, um, the first verse that we're going to read tonight talks about the land covenant. Um, but it, he goes into a covenant after he says that. They go through this weird ceremony. It is strange. Um, and um, to seal the promise of the covenant. So let's look at it real quick. Look at verse number 7. And he, that's God said unto him, I am the Lord, and if, I don't know if your Bible does it, but my Bible does. Um, if you see the uh, English word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the Hebrew word Yahweh. That means that um, this was the holy name for God. So, um, I know the King James does that. I'm not sure about all the translations. Um, but that is the name that if you were to go to a synagogue in Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem, and they were reading from Genesis 15, they would just skip over it because it was the name that they weren't allowed to say. Um, sometimes they would say Jehovah. Um, and that was kind of the Latin transliteration of Yahweh. Um, but they wouldn't say Yahweh. And if you know anything about how the Masoretes would write down the Bible, you know how they would, their job was just to copy the Bible? When they got to Yahweh, they'd have to take off the clothes they were wearing, go bathe, and then they would have to put on brand new clothes. And then they would write that one word. And listen, there were some passages, especially in the Psalms, where Yahweh comes up like 20 times. <laughs> Could you imagine? Um, so just keep that in mind. So this is Yahweh, the holy name for God, that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to do what? Give thee this land to inherit it. That kind of sets up the stage for the rest of the chapter. And he said, Lord, did you notice the difference? In my King James, in verse number 7, it's all capitalized. But in verse number 8, the only letter that's capitalized is L. That's the Hebrew word Adonai. It simply means Lord. You would use that if you were a slave and you were going to talk to your master. They would say Adonai. Okay. And then if you notice the Lord God, Elohim. It was capital G, capital O, capital D. Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? How am I going to know that this is true? He's wanting some sort of guarantee. Verse 9. And he, that's God, said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove 
and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the uh, fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto him, Abram, know of a surety that thy seed, uh, that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Anybody know what that prophecy is for? Say it again. Egypt. Yes, this is a prophecy from God Himself um, about the slavery that would happen in Egypt. Verse number fourteen, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. You all know that, right? I mean, they come out with all kinds of, they get paid to leave. Uh, the problem is they use it to make a cow to then worship, and then they have to drink it. Have you ever drink, drunk gold before? I just can't imagine it's very good, right? Uh, anyways, verse number, verse number 15. And thou shalt go to thy father, fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Does anybody know how old Abraham was when he died? I asked my dad because he was there, and he didn't know either. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> he was 175 years old. Um, verse 16. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. The same day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt, the Nile, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So let's talk about this passage. Um, the first thing is the concern of Abram's faith. God opens this section with a reminder of just who he is, and he gives him a threefold answer. But the first thing that I get from this passage is God never lies. I mean, just consider. It's been 10 years at least from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15. For 10 years, Abram's been waiting. If you know how long it was from the time he first promised in Genesis 12 to the time that Isaac actually is born, you know it's 25 years. Just consider. 25 whole years years that's over half of my life right um and in my perspective if god promised me something today didn't tell me when it was and i had to wait 25 years whoo there'd be some times of doubt but what this is trying to remind abram of is that if god promises it god will do it hey friend you need to know, God doesn't lie. Everything that he has promised you, everything that this book has said will always come true. There are, I think it's all ladies tonight in Grief Share. I have had the privilege of talking to many of them. And in those dark moments, it's hard to believe God's word. Look at me. 
You know it's the case. When you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, like many of them are, when just it seems like you try to trust God and the devil just throws all kinds of things at you, it feels like you're getting beat up on every side, it can be hard to trust God. Let this passage be a reminder that God doesn't lie. You know what God's word says? God's word says he loves you. Never doubt it. God can't lie. Our, God's word tells us that God is good. Even though the situation you're going through might not be. The Bible tells us that God will work it out for good. I, I, you need to know God doesn't lie. Abram in this moment needed reassurance. And I love the fact that God was there to give him reassurance. Let's look at it. God refers to himself as Jehovah. I pointed it out to you. He, you know what Jehovah literally means? Yahweh? It means the self-existent one. You know another time where this is used? In fact, it's kind of in the context here. Is in Exodus chapter number 3. When Moses is wandering the wilderness with a herd of sheep, what does he see in the distance? A burning bush. But the thing that was weird about it is it didn't get consumed. It just kept on burning. So he goes over, and when he gets there, he has to take off his shoes. And this person in the bush says, I'm going to use you to re get the people, redeem the people out of Egypt. And Moses is stuttering he doesn't know what to say he doesn't know what to do and he finally asked well who am I supposed to say is the authority for this request and God says I am that I am do you know what the Hebrew word was it's the exact same one as in verse number seven it's Yahweh he tells Moses I am Yahweh the self-existent one God doesn't need a blanket when he gets cold. He doesn't get cold. God doesn't need light to find his missing cell phone. Right? God doesn't need directions to get from the Milky Way to the Andromeda Galaxy. He knows how to do that. God doesn't need a textbook to learn about the history of the world. God doesn't need a cookbook. God doesn't need an angel to keep him company. God doesn't need you or me. God is the self-existent one. Everything that is was caused by him, but he doesn't need anything that he caused. Because he is what he is. He is the self-existent one. He is all-sufficient. He has everything that he needs within himself. Friend, don't mistake it the fact that though God does love you to think that God needs you God loves you the Bible tells us and he proved that on the cross but he doesn't need me I do not complete him he completes me he's a self-existent one I am that I am so it reminds us of his person Abram was looking for a need God comes and says, I can meet the need because I am that I am. Just consider, 
Every single person in this room has needs. Do you know where you'll find the ability to meet the need? In God himself. Some of us have financial needs here. Do you know who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? It's God himself. Some of us have physical needs in here. Do you know who's a great physician? It's God himself. Many of us have feelings of loneliness and care. Do you know who God sent, God the Father sent? He sent the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be with us every single moment of every single day, to be there for us when we're down, to, to cheer us up when we need cheer, to give us joy when we seem to have none. Friend, it's God. The answer is God, the person. But he also reminds him of his power God remains Abram, that Abram is where he is today because of the power of God. It was God that called him from the Chaldees. It was God that helped him get to the Chaldees. And it has been God with him to fight the war that we talked about in Genesis 14, to, um, uh, to get him out of Egypt when he disobeyed and went to Egypt in the first place. It was God that got him there. It has been God that has protected him. We are so quick to give up on God. And yet God has been there for us time and time again. All we need to do is just for a moment, remember the last time God did something amazing that we didn't think could happen. And it should be enough to tell us that if God was there for me then, he'll still be with me today. And then he reminds him of his plan. Remember, he was in his tent. God pulls him out. And he shows him the universe, the stars in the sky. Then he wants him to look at the land around him. I am of the opinion that by this time, the sun is starting to shine. He's starting to see everything around him. And he reminds him in verse number seven and eight, all of the things that you can see, Abram, they're all yours. Everything that you can lay your eyes in, the, the land, everything here, Abram, it's all yours. Abram responds with a question. In my opinion, you should underline the question. And here's the reason why. Many of us have the idea that it's not okay to question God. Let verse 8 tell you it's okay. How does he respond? He says, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I should inherit it? You know what he's asking? proof what can I tell people how can I know this myself give me some proof he asked God a question now it's a whole lot better than at the beginning of the chapter y'all remember how kind of rude he was to God here he's very respectful that's probably a good thing to do when you're talking to God but he asked God a question friend there are two things you need to know you don't know everything Number two, God does. Don't you think God knows that? And since you don't know everything, isn't it nice that you have the ability to talk to the one that knows everything? Don't you think God knows that you're going to have questions? And here's the thing. If you have a question, God already knows what the question is. You might as well ask it. All right, number two. Let's get into the meat of it. Here's the challenge to Abram's faith. In verses 9 and 10, 
God requests for Abram to prepare a sacrifice. This was not the typical sacrifice, though. This whole event was how men in ancient times made a covenant with one another. They would cut animals in half. Usually, it was just one. And it was a more expensive animal. The bigger, usually more expensive for bigger contracts, bigger covenants. If it was just a small little deal, they would take a turtle dove or, a, a, you know, some bird. But if, as it get bigger and more expensive, the animals would get bigger and more expensive. Very rarely would there be a multitude of animals. But here, God gives them a shopping list. Go and find this animal, this animal, this animal, this animal, and this animal. Um, and what would happen is, they would go into this covenant together, these two men, and they would hold hands. Usually they would tie themselves together. After they cut the animal in half, they would walk through and they would both say something similar, say something with a group of witnesses, and the witnesses would hear them say, if I don't hold up to my end of the bargain, let me become like one of these pieces of this animal. What they were saying is, this is a blood covenant that I'm willing to give up my life for. And God is going into a covenant relationship with Abram. Just picture what this meant. Um, look at verse number 9. So the first thing he says, go and get a heifer um, of three years old. I have so many jokes, but I'm not going to say a single one. <laughs> go and get a heifer. <laughs> a three-year-old heifer. And cut the heifer in half. So obviously, kill the heifer and then cut it in half. Most of the time, it would just be right down the center, right? Not head to stern, but just right in the middle of the animal, cut right in half. I've never done this before. Anybody ever done this before? <laughs> I imagine it's not an easy thing to do, to take an animal and just go right through all the bones and all of those things. Um, you know, one, it was probably just a mess, right? Cutting through all of those things. But that wasn't it. Starts with a hard one, but he says, and a she-goat at three years old. Kill the she-goat, cut it in half. Put the head on this side, put the tail on that side. And then, um, and get a ram, do the exact same thing. A turtle dove and a young pigeon. This probably took all day. Could you imagine after he killed the heifer, walking up to the goat <laughs> with all the blood still on you, saying, you're next? <laughs> and then the ram with all the more blood on you saying you're next this was a dirty just disgusting and it was Abram that had to do all of the work we need to remember that when the Lord makes a requirement of your life or mine it will be a commitment that will entail hard work Brother Miller can back me up on this more than I can even preach it. He gave his life for 57 years, 57, 57 years in Colorado, preaching in Colorado. He would tell you that moving, taking his family, preaching in Colorado, story of how it was hard work. Those of you that have been in our church for a long time, you can tell story after story about how church can be hard work. 
Friend, the story of the Bible isn't that when we get saved, we get to sit back in our recliner. No, the story in our Bible is we get saved and we pick up a hammer. We pick up some nails and we get to work. Listen to me, friend. God calls on Abram to do the work. And sometimes ministry gets messy. I've heard preacher after preacher say people put the mess in the message. But you can't have a message without a mess. Church, it, it goes hand in hand. When the Lord begins to move in your faith life, you can count on the fact that he's going to require you to work. To work. So our work day is Saturday. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but some obstacles come. Look at verse number 11. And when the fowls came, these were vultures. They come down upon the carcasses. Um, dead animals invite vultures. Um, after um, the Thanksgiving meal we had here, we had some turkey get thrown out just right behind the parking lot. And the next morning, there were vultures circling. I mean, it took 10 hours for them to get there, and they were circling. Um, they smell it, and they come. That tells me a couple things. That Abram had to wait. It, listen, isn't that tough? He does all of this work. You don't get any idea that he had time to take a bath. Didn't get to go down to the Jordan. Um, he didn't go to the uh, Sea of Galilee. None of those things. He's probably there because, well, God could show up. And then he waited. <laughs> and just waited. Do you know what that tells me? that I can preach however long I want. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> he just sat there and waited. Dirty. Tired. Wondering. God, why did you have me do it? Why did you have me do it? And then while he's there, here come the vultures. Have you noticed sometimes when you do something really good for the Lord, at least in your eyes, that something else happens to break it, to bring it down, to make it not as valuable as it once was? And he has to shoo the vultures away as well. So what happens? Look at verse number 11. Uh, Abram drives them away, verse 12, and when the sun was going down. So remember, in verse number 4, 5, and 6, we see Abram goes out and looks at the stars. The rest of the chapter, up to verse 12, he's working. And now in verse number 12, again, it's coming down. He hasn't slept for over 48 hours now, probably. He's tired. The sun starts going down, and he begins to get weary I've as I've gotten older I've gotten to a point where that when I get in my chair and sit I start to nod off anybody else come on gentlemen <laughs> does Chuck do that Phyllis <laughs> it just it just like it happens I don't sleep good in my bed but me in my chair whoo 
it just, it can, if my kids are quiet for like 30 seconds, which doesn't happen a lot, I just start, whew. Abram starts to, whew. anything can happen while we sleep. I remember when we first brought Cooper home, the safest I've ever driven in my life was a trip from the hospital about three miles to my house. We got onto 287, it's actually I-44 in Wichita Falls, and the speed limit's 65. I didn't break 40. <laughs> There's that baby in the backseat. We get home, and I, I've never been comfortable holding babies, so if you have a baby, don't be offended. <laughs> Even Cooper, I had to learn. Because I just knew I was going to break this baby. Um, either I was going to drop the baby or I was not going to hold his head just right. And I was scared myself to death. But one thing that happened that first night, I didn't sleep. I checked the locks 30 times that night. I checked my gun to make sure it was ready. Just in every creek in the house, I just knew there were ninjas coming into my house to steal my baby. I just... I couldn't sleep because I knew something bad was going to happen. Isn't it great? You know, we talked about God never lies, but God never sleeps either. I can't protect you or my family when I'm sleeping. Anything could happen. But when Abram sleeps, do you know who's awake still? It's the God of the universe. And that God of the universe doesn't take a night off. He doesn't punch in one night and punch out the next. He's always awake. He is always watchful. He is ever vigilant. And do you know who he watches? The Bible tells us over and over again. He watches his children. You and me. As bad of a, a protector as I am for my boys. God protects you. And he protects me. Even, look at verse number 12. A deep seat fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. This horror could have been a, a terrible dream. could have been a number of different things. But I believe the two go hand in hand, this great darkness and this horror. And I don't think they are just something that happens when we sleep. I think there's things that go on during the day. We look into the future and we look at everything bad that could happen. We, we think and we detail all of the things that could go wrong. Anybody else? We, we make lists in our heads about how this situation could play out. And usually ending in just terrible disaster. Great darkness and great horror. But look at the next verse. Right when this happens. And he said unto Abram. Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge and afterward shall they come out with great substance and thou shalt go to thy father in peace thou shalt be buried in a good old age but in the fourth generation they shall come out hither again, 
for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. When it, um, when it come to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those places. So in this dream, God shows up. In this vision, God shows up and gives him some assurance. Now, the, the assurance comes with some troubling times. They're going to be slaves in a place for 400 years. But God will work even through those 400 years to make them a great nation. Friend, I promise you, they weren't ready for the promised land until they came out of slavery. And they needed both in order to get to the promised land. And um, God says, through all that, we're going to make them a great nation. That tells me a couple things. One, it tells me that hardship is often used for our betterment. Your hard days today are to make you better tomorrow. But then, let's think about this. After the darkness goes away, he gives them some details, and then he goes into the documentation. The ceremony is crazy. God shows up and he turns into, or he takes on the form of a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. Very similar to what they would have after the enslavement in Egypt, right? By day it was a cloud, by night a pillar of fire. And God goes through these animals all on his own. This is telling Abram that I have no requirement. If someone walked through this on their own, that person was going into covenant with the other party, and he was telling the other party, I will do all of the work, you just get to enjoy the promise. God is telling Abram, God is telling the Israelites that he was the one that walked through it, and he's the only one that can hold up this covenant. Abram can't do it, neither can they. Hear me, friend. God goes through this all on his own to preach a message to future generations that the entire promise is completely up to God. Hear me. Though you and I, we have to give faith and repentance when we get saved, the entire covenant of our salvation is God and God alone. Jesus did all of the work. All we need to do is believe in that work and we enjoy the benefits of the righteousness of our Savior. That should amaze us and astound us. And that leads me to one major conclusion. God never lies. God never sleeps. But God never fails. Friend, I can imagine that many of us here have been hurt by a lot of people. It seems like we're hurt most by people we love most. The closer they get, the more we trust them, the more we love them. And then because they're people, they let us down. We get hurt. And some of us have come here tonight and you're kind of cold to people because you've been hurt before. And you become kind of calloused towards caring and loving and caring. Just because there have been family members and friends who have hurt you, you need to listen there are no perfect people. Everyone is going to be hurt by someone. 
And then you come into church and you have great expectations for a pastor, a deacon, a trustee, a Sunday school teacher, the people that you sit with and around. And you know what happens? You think that these people are loving and kind, but then they hurt you too. And you have the unbelievable realization that they're not even perfect. Church, there's no such thing as a perfect church. Husband, your wife is not perfect. Wife, your husband is not perfect. My wife got the only one. Your pastor is not perfect. No one is perfect. People will fail you. Even those who love you the most. Everyone will fail you. But this passage is written to remind us. Though people fail us on every turn, God never fails us. He will never let you down. Even when you're going through that valley of the shadow of death, what is the promise in Psalm 23? I am with you. Friend, we don't have the promise from God's word that he'll take the bad days away. But we do have promise after promise in God's word that God will go through the valley with us. When we go through the dark days and the hard times, God is right there to give us strength. Even though sometimes we doubt him being there and we can't feel his touch, God is there to carry us through. Friend, God never lies. God never sleeps. And God will never fail you. Tonight, rest in this covenant, knowing that if Israel could still be a nation, God must still be on his throne. God went through these animals to prove to Abram and the rest of the Israelites, this is my covenant. God went to the cross to prove to the world that he loves them. He has the power to forgive them and to make old things, dead things, brand new and alive. Let's stand. Heads bowed. Eyes closed.